I'm really happy to have this next guest on. Her name is Donna Han, and um, she was a studio owner of seven years with a very successful studio, 300 students within a regional town in Queensland. Um, she made the decision only like a couple of years ago to sell her business and move on from studio owner life. She finally settled. Um, that is now sold only this year in January 2022. And she's going to talk about that. She's going to talk about that process of, you know, why she decided to sell um, her studio, what the journey was and um, how she did it successfully, I suppose, is really the key factor there. Uh, she went from being a studio owner, she's now a coach and the owner of She's In Business, a service dedicated to helping women in business achieve their goals. I took a little excerpt from her website because I absolutely loved this. And she says, you're hungry for a better way, wishing for an easier way. You've been pouring yourself into bossing and mumming and you can't remember the last time you blocked out time for you. For too long, you've ignored your tugging heartstrings and you know it's time for a change. Beautiful. I love that. You're about to meet Donna Han. Let's do it. Hey there, I'm Josephine Lankuba and you're listening to Business Arts and All That Jazz. I've been immersed in the creative business world and performing arts industry for over 20 years. I know from experience that being an artist, a creative or running a creative business can be a tough gig, but I'm here to tell you it's possible. I went from having zero dollars to my name and living below the poverty line to then living paycheck to paycheck to finally living a life of comfort, happiness, passion and even stability. In this podcast, I peel back the curtain and share with you the ups and downs of my journey. Plus, I tap into the minds of creative industry experts to discover their paths to success. I know you have a spark inside of you, that little voice that tells you to reach for the stars. I want to help you step into your limelight to have the courage to live a life you dream of, a life that you design. So get ready to be entertained and inspired as we talk business, arts, and all that jazz. Hello, we have the amazing Donna Han here today on Business Arts and All That Jazz. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Joe. It's really <laughs> exciting to have a chat with you. <laughs> I know, I know. And look, um, we actually uh, met through, you know, business networking, that Tina Towers Mastermind, um, which has been an amazing thing to be a part of, you know, being surrounded by other women in business. Um, and our connection point was actually the fact that uh, you once ran a studio and, and though we're both, you know, moving into this online space, you had a dance studio and I suppose, you know, that was a beautiful connection point for us and yeah, the reason absolutely. why I thought maybe, you know, um, it would be great to talk about that today on the show. Um, but before we dive into your online business world, let's start right back when you were new to business and in the performing arts space. Um, so, look, I was saying in the chat before we started that I have done a bit of my research on you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been stalking you, don't worry. But anyway, stalking is normal these days. Yeah, so no, I'm it is. It's totally normal. I wouldn't be offended if you were stalking me. Like if you were, you know, a middle-aged bloke and things like that, that would be different, but no. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's what Instagram is, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's totally a stalking <laughs> space. But um, look, I've read that you've done everything from, and I'm reading my notes here so I don't miss a beat, but everything from having a dance studio to a children's party and entertainment business to something to do with camping and now coaching women and mums in business. So, you know, that's a lot of different pieces. I know. It is. And there's a few other pieces in there as well that um, are also, yeah, I've had a bit of a journey, definitely a journey. Um, Mm. Well, take me back to the beginning. Like how did you get started? Um, well, I guess like if I go right back to the beginning of performing arts, because I guess there's a few different arms to this, right? So um, I started like probably a lot of dances as a little girl where I discovered dance and it became that space where I could find myself and lose myself all at once. And it was this beautiful this beautiful escape for me, but also a place to express myself, right, which is, you know, for so many children the same. And I was the kid, being that I'm a little shorty, I was the one that got put up the front, but I was also the one that wasn't afraid to, like, turn on the sparkle, you know. And so, um, you know, all my exam reports and my competition reports and everything were always filled with comments about my animated expression. You know, I was that kid at the front. Um, And then through that, I discovered um, that musical theatre was my thing. Mm -hmm. And in my teenage years, it became like I was all obsessed about it. So that community of, and you were just saying that you were just touring a show around Melbourne, like that community theatre feeling, Mm. it's there's just like nothing else like it, right? It's amazing. And so that's what kind of got me hooked in the world of theatre. And so I decided that I wanted to, um, you know, go and study a Bachelor of Arts. So I did that. I'm actually originally from Perth. So we now live in a sunny seaside town about 600 k's north of Brisbane. But at that stage, I was in WA where I grew up. And so the children's party business came along because I was studying performing arts at uni and I needed some extra cash on the side of working in cafes and all of that sort of stuff as you do as a uni student and so um, that was a really fun thing that I did that I could turn up as a children's party character and you know take the pressure off the parents and just you know entertain them for a couple of hours and I loved it Um, and so I guess that's where that business came in Mm. Um, as was that your part, first? That was the first Yeah, one. that was my first one. So I was 19 at that stage. Mm. Um, Which is young. Yeah, it is young. But I also grew up inspired by a family business. So my parents um, emigrated from England when I was really small. And so they just got in and they got started when they arrived in Australia and built this business. So, you know, I just, I think I always grew up in that environment where it was interesting to watch my parents chat with customers and how they manage their employees and I would lick stamps for mum and like help her send out quotes and stuff like that um and so I guess like seeing that in my formative years when I was really young it started me on this fascination with business ownership as well as having a real passion for performing arts so yeah I've become a serial entrepreneur I guess you could say um since then I've um started, grown and sold three businesses um, over two decades. Um, Plus I had, you know, a few years where I went to the West End and, you know, did the whole 
um, treading the boards uh, in theatre over there. And um, how did that go? Out of curiosity. Yeah. Look, I think that that, and also I, um, my other real big ambition as a performer was to get into Whopper. Yeah. And so in the music theatre program, and I did that. So I got in and did the certificate course. Um, in addition to doing my um, Bachelor of Arts at the same time. Like it was a really hectic time. And so um, during that time they said to me, look, we want you to go and get some more life experience. Um, we need you to, you know, because you're young, right? This was in the audition process before I actually got accepted. They're like, we love your potential, but you need more life experience. So that was like, okay, cool. I'm hitching up my backpack and I'm off. And so like, that's how I ended up in the West End. But coming back from there and then completing the certificate course, I was like, you know, that reality of going, I don't know if I want to have the kind of lifestyle where one minute you're the hottest thing and you're it and you're getting booked for jobs and then the next you're not because you don't fit the costume or you don't fit with the family that they're creating for the stage because, you know, your colouring is different to theirs or whatever. And I was just like, I kind of, one of my core values is stability. And mm. so that didn't really sit with me as much as I love the creative not world. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, and so... That was like a really, that realisation was like, oh, my God, like all of these years, all of this money and investing in like, you know, your degrees and all of this kind of stuff, I'd shaped my world around being a performer mm. and then I realised, oh, but there's a part of it that doesn't really fit with my core values and so I don't know what to do now. So I actually went and did FIFO work in construction. Like that's another random thing that you don't know about me probably. What's, sorry, what, what's FIFO work? You're <laughs> going to have to tell me. I don't even know what um, that is. <laughs> FIFO, sorry, is fly in, fly out. Right. So I was contracted to a work site in the middle of nowhere in Australia, mm. surrounded by red dirt. You know, I'm a little dancer um, and I'm turning up in hard hats and steel cap boots totally a fish out of water um, and I was there as an administrator I later um, went I was with that company for a while and became a uh, trainer for them but that's where I met my husband I know this is a really convoluted story but that's where I met my husband um, we traveled to Queensland for work and that's where we've stayed for the last 10 years and through that obviously we started a family and I realised that I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mum. I thought I did. I really, mm. really thought that I wanted that. But when I was in that, I was like, I'm itchy. Like, I need to do something other than wash clothes, change nappies, feed yeah. my baby, you know, make cute noises and take loads of photos. I need other stuff from that as much as I love being a mum. And so that's where I started um, Tiny Travellers, which was a company built around some of our passions as a family, which is camping and traveling. But with a young baby, there wasn't a lot of stuff that made that easier. So I went out searching for different products that made that that easier for parents traveling with little people. So it's called Tiny yeah. Travelers. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And look, it's interesting that one of your core values is stability because, well, in business, you can create that. But yes. as an artist, there's so many elements out of your control. Exactly. And so the only way to create stability as an artist is to have the business part of your, your artistry 
Yes. Because if you don't and you're simply relying on, you know, getting the next gig, mm-hmm. then it's it's not something you can ever control, no matter how good you are, no matter what your history yeah. is, um, you know, your credentials, whatever. Yeah. It's just it's completely out of control. So stability is interesting. I actually say in the intro of my um, podcast here, I talk about how I even found stability and I use the word even. Yes. we know as artists or being in creative, you know, being from a creative background, mm-hmm. stability is mega. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so, so you're from Western Australia and then you moved to Queensland, is that right? Yes. Did you start business in Western Australia first or you started when you were in Queensland? Um, the dance studio? Yeah, let's say Yeah, that. no. So that came much later. So we travelled to Queensland with no children. Um, we weren't quite married yet. So that's been like 11 years since we've lived in Queensland. Okay. So when we got here, that's when I had my first baby and started Tiny Travellers. Mm. I caught, I sold that business um, because it was just it wasn't working for me. Like I thought it was going to be great, but it didn't quite suit the lifestyle. We we're always at markets and doing different things and it was online as well. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm not up for this. I was also mm. expecting my second baby. So it was like, okay, we're at another milestone without family around to help and all of that. I'm going to try this stay at mum thing, stay at home mum thing again. Again, it didn't work. Um, I should have learned the first time. No, no. I mean, how do you define success in business? Because you're saying I tried this, but it didn't work. So would you then deem that as unsuccessful? So how do you, what's your success gauge? Yeah, well, it wasn't successful in the fact that I realised it didn't suit where I wanted my lifestyle to go and what was serving us as a family. And I think that it's not so much as a failure, although I think like whenever it comes down to going, okay, this isn't what I want to do anymore or this isn't working for X, Y, Z, instead of wrapping the word failure around it, I think it's about looking at, at looking at it as a journey and I think every stepping stone that we make is the stepping stone to the next thing Um, and I am a lifelong learner I think most people are and also I think if you don't allow yourself to grow and develop and change and evolve then if I don't know I think if I did the same thing when I was 19 and never did anything different and Mm -hmm. I didn't evolve I don't believe that I'd be the person I am today. And so I think it's about accepting that as humans and as business owners, we evolve and we change and we want different things. And when you go through a new season of life, like becoming a parent, that's massive. Um, But also, you know, um, as you go into different ages, like I'm 40 this year. um, And so, you know, I know I'm sort of jumping around a bit. I'm 40 in January. But, you know, like being a dance studio owner and trying to like, you know, dance around the studio, it's harder than it used to be, you know. And so there's different seasons that happen where we have to evolve with that. So, yeah. But How I long do did think, you run the studio for? How long were you actually? Um, it was seven, seven years. Oh, so yeah. quite some time. Yeah, some time. So the studio came about after the birth of my second child. So I had a six-month-old and a three-year-old when it was like, okay, I know I can't be a stay-at-home mum. What do I want to do? And I wanted to go back to my passion, which is the art. So it kind mm-hmm. of came full circle a little bit there. And I was like, well, I know that here in the area where we live, there wasn't a studio that was doing more than just dance. So 
what I wanted to create was a dance studio where kids could come and it didn't, they didn't have to be the best dancer. They didn't have to be the perfect shape of a dancer. They didn't need to necessarily live, breathe, eat, sleep, dance. They could just come there and do one class a week if they wanted to. But underneath the skills of learning dance, they were learning confidence. They were learning social skills. They were, you know, building life skills that they could take outside of the studio as well. And so that became a big part of our branding. It became a big part of our core values as a, as a studio. Um, and I think that that is what paved our success. So we grew from zero to 300 students in about two years. Um, and in our, yeah, and particularly because we're in a small regional town, like we're 600 Ks above Brisbane. And like when it got to that stage, my kids weren't quite at school yet. And I didn't appreciate the size of it until I started looking at primary schools. And I was like, holy crap, my dance studio is bigger than the da- than this primary <laughs> school as far as student numbers, you know. So that was like a bit of a whoa, you know. Um, but, yeah, so it grew really quickly um, and it was very successful. And I think the reason that it was is because we're very clear about what we did and what we didn't do and what our purpose and core values were as a studio and that didn't include being the best dancer it didn't include cleaning up at competitions it was about the child and it was about their journey through dance and the different the different things that you know make dance so special Mm. which for me was all about creating a really safe space about creating friendships about connections and being able to be confident enough to go on stage and then use those skills outside in the in the big wide world you know yeah now you say that after two years you brought it to 300 students and we know that you had for seven years so what year did you actually go to sell and and how many students did you have when you started to think about that decision yeah so we kind of um we kept it around that 300 so i had two different locations Mm -hmm. um because being a small town like i sort of needed to diversify into different locations to get those numbers um but it was a bit of a journey i guess getting to the point of wanting to sell um gosh how where do i go back to i think i think because i was going so fast so hard at the success for that business, I reached burnout in around, I'm going to say 2019. So we sort of started at 2016, 2017. So yeah, around around that like three years in. Yeah, because it was like hard and fast, you know. Right. And I had a three-year-old and a six-month-old. Yeah. And I don't have my parents here. I don't have my husband's parents here. He mm. works shift work, so 12-hour shifts plus an hour travel each way. He does days and then he does night. Like, it's a hard, it was really hard and tough for us yeah. there. Um, yeah. And, you know, eventually that did have a really big impact on our relationship, which is a whole nother story um, and a whole nother journey, which we've come back from. But that was really, really tough. And so, um, and around, where are we, 2019? So 2020 was like COVID, right? Like that's when yeah, all that and that, and that's exactly it. You know, that would yeah. be a real tough trot. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we built really quickly. And then it's that sustainability of like keeping your retention levels high. And there's not a lot of teachers 
around this area because it's like an industrial kind of town. So it's not like you've got a pool of teachers or dancers that you can pick from. So maintain, like not so much retaining staff, that wasn't the issue, but, um, you know, as your studio grew, you had to grow your team, but there was very, very few options to be able to do that. So um, when I got to that point of burnout and I realised something had to give I was like okay so I either need to change the business and or fold the business or I need to look at well how do I make the business work for me and my lifestyle and to keep up with the demand that we've now set for ourselves so I went about systemizing everything so created system after system after system Um, and I started you know really looking at numbers within my business which I kind of have always stuck my head in the sand about that I think as a creative you're like ah, I don't yeah. want to worry about that stuff I just want to do the I, know. I was just having that conversation actually this morning with um my um customer experience manager and yeah it, it, just the invoicing and we have a great payment system that we've implemented and it's all direct yep. now and we don't do yeah we don't chase invoices like that but people still bounce there's always a bounce percentage yeah and I'm like oh now we have to follow the procedure of the bounce. I hate all that stuff because I'm like I know it's just part of it and I don't yep. mind getting the money it's I've got a much more positive money mindset now than I initially did as yeah you know, because creatives, like you said, you know, it's it's all that nitty-gritty stuff and you just yeah. want to do the art, right? Yeah, you just want to do the stuff you're passionate about. Yeah, yeah. And I think so that's the that's other the side thing. of business, isn't it, is you start a business because you've got a passion or you've got a special talent or it's a hobby and you think this could be really great to make this my income, like I could mm. totally do that. And then you jump in there and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's <laughs> the admin work is so yeah. much more than the actual time that I'm spending at the studio or, you know, whatever it is you're doing with your business. So I think that's a pretty steep learning curve too. But I think because I'd already had previous businesses, I realised pretty quickly that I needed to make a change to the way that I was running the business instead of it running me. Mm. What year did you sell? Um, I sold in January this year, so 2020. Oh, wow, that's really fresh. But there was a process to that. Yes. So I'd I love knew- to hear about that because, I mean, yeah. some of our listeners, especially after COVID, I mean, not because of like it might, they might still be thriving, but the energy levels have shifted, people's yep. priorities have shifted, um, just a whole bunch of reasons why they might be considering selling their business. Yeah. So. I think some people might be really interested, um, even if they're not interested now, about exiting in the future. So we'd love to hear about that um, and yeah, Yeah. your take on how that went down. Yeah, and I think that's exactly where I was at too. Like my energy levels were low. I'd, you know, we'd rescued our marriage and brought that back from the brink and we'd been through COVID and going online with classes and I was like, yeah, the business is still healthy. We managed to keep it healthy, but... I'm kind of done with it. Like I've, I'm, I'm at my point where I'm ready to, to get out. And I'd always wanted to get out because I'd planned that by the time my kids were at high school, I wanted to be there for them. And I know that a lot of people are like, when my babies are young, I want to be there for them. And of course, yes, I did. And I was as much as possible. But for me with boys, they're not the 
boys don't often come out and say, hey, I've got this problem or I'm experiencing this or can I talk to you about You just have to be there at the right time when they have a vulnerable moment. And I think that those high school years is really important to be around. So I always wanted to be in a position to sell it at that point, which is where all the systemization, which I love that um, that's probably something that I'm sure you teach within your program, Joe, mm. is systemization because that really is what makes your business saleable. Um, so all of that was in place. And so um, what I did was I was getting the business ready to sell, but to be honest, I wasn't thinking I would sell at the time that I did. So in 2020, we'd done all of our, um, you know, timetabling for the next year. Staffing had been all sorted out. It was December, so I was in Brizzy for a business um, conference thing, and I got a phone call from a person who was checking a reference for my main lead teacher who was teaching like 80% of classes. And by this stage, I'd taken myself out of teaching, so I wasn't teaching any classes at all. So it was one of those phone calls where you're like, oh, everything's ready for the year. I was just ready to wind down for Christmas. And now it looks as though my main teacher is looking for a full-time job, which I can't offer her. And I'm going to have to step back into teaching or pull a a rabbit out of a hat. And so, you know, as I said, it's really thin on the ground for teachers in regional areas. So it was pretty stressful. Um, And so I thought, what am I going to do? And I was down in Brisbane with actually one of our friends, Stacey Hughes, who's also in Tina's program. I was down there for for a business thing with Tina and her group. And she's like, well, why don't you offer it to her? And I was like, well, yeah, but she's only 21. I don't think she would get a loan. I don't think she has enough capital. Knowing a little bit about her personal family life, I don't think her family has the money to be able to do that. I don't know if that would work. But I'd also heard about vendor finance. I don't know if you've heard of that. Tell me about it. So vendor finance is where you essentially, as the business owner who is selling, becomes the bank. So you have a special agreement in place where over time they pay you out of the profits of the business. So you're buying a business with with no money down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. Or some money, but not yet. Yeah. So it's a payment plan, an agreement. Yes. I've heard about that. I didn't didn't, um, hear it in that. Um, how did you describe it? Vendor? Vendor finance. Vendor called. finance. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So I'd heard about that and I did a bit of a digging around about, okay, how would that work? And I thought, you know what, bugger it. I'm just going to call her and say, let's have a chat. So I think I was in Queen Street Mall. It was very like off the cuff kind of decision. And I'm like, hey, I just got a call about <laughs> a reference. She was like, oh my God, I was going to tell you about that, but I hadn't had the chance to. I'm like, it's cool. But this is what I'm thinking, would you be interested in purchasing the dance studio? And it just took her completely by surprise. But I kind of like just on the spot said to her, you know, this is the income, this is the profit margin, this is the sort of lifestyle that you could expect to lead from that and kind of just was really transparent over the phone to give her the, I guess, the opportunity to really think it through. And then from that point We made a um, decision to have a meeting about it. In the meantime, I'd contacted a lawyer. She'd given me some advice around, you know, putting together a bit of a, um, it was called a heads of agreement, which is basically, you know, you have your standard contract of sale, which is very 
very much like when you buy a house, it's kind yeah. of, you know, pretty black and white. It's very the same for everybody. But your heads of agreement kind of goes into more about the clauses, special conditions, the buyout term plan, all of that kind of stuff. So what we agreed on was that um, being, as I said, she was very young, she didn't have a lot of capital behind her, and I knew she wouldn't be successful in applying for a bank loan. She didn't have a car loan, let alone, you know, any history to kind of, for the bank to go, yep, we'll give you, (laughs) you know, lots of thousands of dollars. Um, And so, what we did was I said to her, so now we're in December, classes start again the end of January. I don't feel that that's really fair to expect you to jump in and take this business on. You know, we're closed. So how can I train you up when there's no business to yes, train you up in right now? Fine. So what we agreed on is that um, she would pay me a deposit for the business over that 12 months, the next 12 months, so essentially 2021. Mm-hmm. And I would mentor her throughout that entire year where she would work one-on-one with me behind the scenes. No one would know about it. It was very, very confidential. And she learned all the back end of the business. Um, She was also teaching, as I said, 80% of the classes anyway at that stage. So it just was an opportunity for her to really get into the nuts and bolts of the business that previously she was unaware of just being a teacher and not being involved in admin at all Um, and it gave me the confidence that she would be able to run the studio and make a profit from it and then pay me the year after so it was a really long process in -hmm. that the first 12 months was um, her paying me a deposit and me training her up and then this year 2020 I'm completely hands-off Um, And she's paying me quarterly from the profits of the business. And by the end of the year, I'll have, you know, the full amount that we've agreed upon. Um, But for me, that was a safe way to ensure that I would get my money at the end of, you know, 2020, because I'd spent the 12 months training. 2022? Two, sorry, 2022. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so, you know, it's a long drawn You're still at the beginning thing. of the pandemic, Donna. Yeah, I am, sorry. <laughs> you know, those two years are just a bit of a blip, hey? It's like blip, it's like, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. And I assume you would have gotten someone in to do evaluation. Um, well, or you I didn't. Or- no. <laughs> Which, you know, different businesses do it in different ways. I got advice. And I was just really um, transparent with my P&Ls with her. And I'm like, this is generally the way that they do it. So it's usually two times your profit margin is your sale price. So that's kind of what we looked at. She, um, you know, was we'd built so much trust over the years that we'd worked together because she'd worked with me for two to three years, I think, by that point. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of trust there that we'd built together over that time. Um, and, you know, I was really transparent and open about it with, like my numbers, you know. Um, and so she was happy with that. I was happy with that. We did get a formal agreement drawn up by a lawyer. Yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> that was absolutely done and dusted. Yes. Um, and, you know, I made it really clear to her that she was in a position of being really fortunate in being given a six-figure studio at the age of 21 without having to pay bank interest, without having to go into debt, um, and having someone that's going to spend 12 months to train her, it wasn't a walk-in, walk-out sale, you know. And so she understood really clearly because I made it really clear that that was an opportunity that, you know, doesn't come very often in a lifetime. And so, 
the expectation on my part was that she wouldn't default on payments. And if she did, then I would be, you know, taking legal action because I'd been so generous in what I had done that my expectation that she would, you know, fulfill her part of that as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Actually, I did something similar. I have never sold a business, but I have bought one. Um, Funnily enough, um, one of them was off my sister and we had that agreement, but it was a bit more lax because it was family. But but actually now I wouldn't have been so lax. I think um, I would make sure that we have it all properly written and done because even with family, like that's even worse if you don't have it down on paper because there's too many grey areas. But we were fine. We did what we said we were going to do. But it was the same situation. This was years and years ago now. Um, I bought a little dance studio um, with only like 40 students in it or something and and we did the same thing that from the profits and what I gave her over time and and that was it. And Um, it can work out really beautifully but I do think that there is a lot of trust involved in doing it that way. Because I guess, you know, like she could fail her payments and then I don't get anything in return for the totally. beautiful business that I've handed over to her. Um, but part of my risk management around that was spending lots of time with her working on budgets and really crunching the numbers um, and being, as I said, really transparent about opening my books to her and explaining, well, this is, you know, these are how many students you need. These are your student target numbers to then ensure that you can pay your expenses and you've got a profit and you can pay me back. And let's look at the concert. Let's strip that out. Mm. You know, we broke everything down. So it was really, really clear. We had, you know, annual planning for marketing, annual planning for retention, annual planning for teacher training. Like it was all really generous. yeah yeah because well if I didn't do that then how is she going to swim you know it's mm. that whole thing of teaching someone to fish right and so I was happy to invest my time in teaching her all those things and like let's face it like I love coaching and mentoring that's now what I do as a business yes absolutely. I was so, I enjoyed doing that with her mm. and um you know this year we do a quarterly meeting which is basically for me to look at her PL um, and help her if there's any red flags that I can see after being in business for so long it's easy for me to see but she may miss stuff um, and just to have a bit of a debrief to ask her about all the different elements of how things are running so that if there's anything that she's struggling with she's got me there every quarter to bounce those ideas and ask for advice and by the end of the year you know, she'll be, well, you know, well and truly um, have paid the business off and she'll be feeling super confident. The last thing I wanted to do was hand over a lemon, you know what I mean? And mm. and not have the systems in place, not be in a position where I could spend the time training someone up, especially because I'd known her for so long and we're in a small community and, you yeah, know. I was going to say, does that change the scope of what's possible in selling a business when you're in regional I think it does. I think it really does. And that's why I decided to go down this route. Like, you know, listing it through a broker and all of that kind of stuff is another way that you can sell your business. Um, I think if I was in a bigger town or in a city, there's more um, opportunities for that. Oh, you could literally post in um, a group, like a Facebook group filled with your community saying, hey, I'm selling my business, message me if you're interested. Yeah. You know, genuine interest and you'll get messages. Like if you're in Sydney or Melbourne or even like Brisbane or whatever. 
yeah you're gonna get that but yeah. I think being regional that's really it's really tough and like I said it's hard enough finding a dance teacher let alone someone who's willing to become a dance studio owner you know and has the yeah. skill set and the interest and the business savvy like mm. that's a hard person to find and so that's yeah why I went you know what <laughs> I'm on a whim here I'm just going to call her and be like do you want this and yeah luckily for me she was pretty keen so it's worked out well amazing I mean look you've moved into coaching which we just kind of we've been brushing on just slightly yeah. I'm interested because you have from what I what I've gathered um <laughs> you've decided to mentor mums and women in business yeah how come you didn't actually stick to I guess what people would perceive as what you knew like why yeah, to be like that? a dance studio owner. And not performing arts or yeah. creative business or why niching into the um, mums? Because I think I see so many mums with super talents, right, with hmm. really great skills and it's a really tricky thing to juggle a business and raising a family at the same time. Yeah. And so often you see that the business burns out or the person burns out. And I certainly reached points of that um, in my business journey. And so, you know, people, a lot of other mums were coming to me naturally for business advice. So what would you do with this? And what would you, I've got this idea, you know, that kind of stuff was happening anyway. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really passionate about helping women, particularly mums in business, to follow their dream and not shortchange themselves because of their responsibility of being a mum at the same time. In my experience, I found that being a stay-at-home mum wasn't enough for me, but also the opportunities to find a, you know, part-time job that work within school hours that what do you do during school holidays? And, you know, there's so much that you have to think about as being responsible for little humans. Yes. Um, and so I just really want to help to support mums in business to be able to have the career that they want, but also to be present with the people that mean the most to them um, and also to take time for self-care. And essentially that's what my program is all around. So, you know, it's a real holistic kind of approach where we do look at business skills and the foundations of needing those things and, you know, dive deep into all of the different elements of that. But we also look at well, what kind of a work-life blend do you want to create so that you can be present with the people who mean the most to you when you want to be? Not mm -hmm. being ruled by, you know, the business in running your life. You're running your life and you're making those choices. And also, you know, that self-care element is so important because that's where the burnout happens because, you know, we're putting our family before ourselves, we're putting our business before ourselves. And before we know it, you know, we're cactus and then, then nothing works. And so, you know, it really is about bringing those three elements, those three kind of really essential areas together to create that beautiful work-life blend, which is healthy and fills us up, um, but also brings us an income and allows us to, you know, do all the things that we want to do in being present with our family. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's that. my purpose behind doing it. I work-life blend. I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for yeah, that. I'm, um, I've really moved away from the balance, the work-life yeah. balance, because I don't really think that that's ever really achievable. It's always, no. it's always a blend. Sometimes you've got to be, you know, more engaged with 
um, you know, your business. Sometimes you've got to be more engaged with the family. Sometimes, you know, you really need to step out and take time for yourself. And so it's that blend that we need to be working on all the time. Yeah, I love that. I just did um, my last episode and whenever this comes out, it won't be the last one, but whatever. The timeline of when we're recording this, um, I just did a podcast actually called I'm the Worst Mum. And <laughs> but it's it's meant to just talk about all those moments that I wasn't a great mum, but yeah. I suppose we talk about that work-life blend as well and how yeah. you, know, you just got to forgive yourself sometimes. Absolutely. And you know what? Like, I think that's the thing, and I love that you bring that up, Joe, because, you know, it's so easy to look at other people and the way that they do it and go, how the hell do they do it? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, even though I feel as though I've got a great work-life blend, it hasn't come without big learning curves where it hasn't been that way. And, um, you know, there is, I think it's that 80-20 rule, right? Like if you can get it fairly well right 80% of the time, you're doing really, really great. So don't beat yourself up for the 20% of the time that maybe it isn't going as you would want it to, to go or isn't like the perfect Instagram. Totally. You know, or yeah. like that time where, I mean, you know, when I'm trying to, I'm packing couriers in the morning and I just can't deal with the kids and I've given them a lollipop before breakfast and I'm like, God, I'm the worst mum yeah. ever. No, like, you got to do oh, what you got to do, right? Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. Um. You know, do you currently run any other, so you used to run multiple businesses and whatnot. Are you solely coaching now or do you have yeah. other things on the go? So I was doing the studio, like running the studio and building She's in Business, which is the online coaching and yes. um, online program business. Um, so that was happening for about 12 months or so. And then once I sold the dance studio, it's just like all in on She's in Business and um, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving so it. She's so in nice. Business is the coaching, is your coaching service, but yeah. also a podcast. Yep. So my podcast is She's in Business. Um, and then, yeah, She's in Business is also my business name. And yeah. through that, I run private coaching. And I also have a program called Ready to Rise, which is, as I pretty much in a nutshell explained to you before, it's that three elements to building a work-life blend in a mm-hmm. really healthy way. Yeah. So Now, and there's been some heated discussion online recently about the word or term mumpreneur. Uh, so I'm yes. going to ask you, <laughs> mumpreneur, yay or nay? I'm going to go with nay. Nay? You know, it's funny Just to ask me that. Well, at the very beginning, when I was trying to decide on a business name, mumpreneur was in there in some kind of a way, you know, like it was one of the words that I was trying to work in with the title of my business. And um, I put it out there, you know, I did my bit of a test and a research and I put it out there. I'm like, what do you guys think of this? Like into Facebook groups and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. And the response I got back was really heavily leaned towards the negative. No one liked it. Mm. And I was like, okay. To me at that point, I was like, yeah, it doesn't really bother me. Like, you know, mumpreneur, I'm a mum, I'm in business. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But I guess like... The thing behind that that maybe grates people is that it's putting the two in one and not saying that, well, you can be a business owner. You don't, you know, you can do that and also be a mum. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's not one and the same. Is that, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I actually, um, so I have a different take on that. I actually think that there's nothing wrong with putting them together because there's strength in being a mum in business. Like I yeah. actually see that as courageous. So I don't have to identify as like saying, 
oh, well, there's no dadpreneurs. Like, I don't worry about any of that. I just yes. think, you know, yeah. it's just a way of defining a woman in business and you know that, that you can kind yeah. of unite with that concept. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And that's no, but it. I hear and that's you. So many people are nay. I get it. I know. And that's that was why at the beginning I was like playing around with that word because like you, I'm like, yeah, that's like, like you know, it doesn't really bother me. Mm. But then the response that I got, was really nay and I was like ooh okay well clearly I'm not gonna create a business <laughs> around that that, that would not be good branding <laughs> yeah, so yeah. um yeah I didn't go down that didn't go down that path now if you could say anything to business owners looking to sell or get out to start something new what would you say to them I would say systemize your business mm. Because the value of your business is in your systems. You want to be able to provide a business that someone can walk into and start following your systems and the business remains the same. And I think there's two kind of reasons for wanting to do that. The first one is that you obviously want the business to be successful for the new owner. So you want them to be able to make a profit from it, but also you want to be able to make sure that the systems are followed um, because the customer experience, the parents, the kids, they're there for that reason because what you do is how they, that's how they like it. Like that's what they want, right? And if you've built a business that's really successful, um, they're coming to you for the experience. Um, and I don't believe that in any business people, initially they will come for whatever it is that you're providing, the service or the product but they stay because of the experience or because of the community, um, because of the way that you serve them. And so mm. putting all of that into a system is what's going to make your business saleable. If you don't have those systems in place, then I don't actually know what you're selling. Mm. Because how does someone come into your business and start running it if you haven't written down you know, operational systems, step-by-step yeah. -step guides. Um, essentially, you're selling either, you know, a building or equipment or you can't sell your students because there's nothing keeping them with you. They can up and leave at any time. So the value in your business actually comes from your system. So that would be my tip in wanting to sell. Start systemizing your business, start making it, you know, you know, make yourself a a drive, a folder, however you run your business, um, but have it really, really clear, everything itemized and, yeah, have systems that a 12-year-old could follow and I think that's the key. In did you just um, just quickly, I just wanted to know, like how far in advance did you tell them that you were, that management was changing? My staff or my, or the. the hot, like the actual clients. Ah, uh, yeah, that was really tricky. That was really tricky. Mm. Because you want them to stay for the for the new owner. Yeah. So we yeah. did a change management plan, which again is probably thank you for raising that because it's something that's also really important too. So the initial conversation and the contract of sale was absolutely confidential for the first six months. So then um, six months before it was going to be handed over, we told the team that they were told to keep it absolutely confidential as well. We needed to bring them in on the conversation and let them know because it was starting to get a bit icky. It was just like, you know, people, because we're such a close-knit team, mm -hmm. as many studio owners are, 
um, that people were starting to pick up on different things and, you know, not necessarily asking the question, but you could see them kind of like, that's weird. How come she's not, you know? Um, And so we informed them of it, but, you know, we said to them, we need to keep this confidential because we need to manage this change and roll it out in a way that's um, going to be beneficial for the business um, Mm. so that it doesn't fall in a heap. And so then we did our re-enrolment process, which for us usually starts in like October, November. Um, We then went on school holidays. And when we came back in January, we allowed everyone to settle in for the new term um, because you know what it's like getting all your new students in, like it can be quite a hectic time. And I had removed myself from the business so much over the two years leading into that. I wasn't teaching classes anymore. I had a studio coordinator who was managing all the admin and everything that I was the face of the business, but I wasn't at classes every day. I wasn't. Yeah, that's like me with my musical mix club. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there wasn't a, I don't, I wasn't expecting there to be like a big outcry of where's Donna. I was hoping that if I'd done my job properly, most people, you know, wouldn't realise or wouldn't really mind. And so then in the February, we made an announcement. So we recorded a video together. We had, you know, planned out a newsletter that went out. There was a whole series of marketing that followed via Facebook and Instagram. Um, And I made personal phone calls to our students who had been with us for the entire seven years or, you know, had been an integral like loyal customer for a long time that I thought may need that reassurance that it was all going to continue the same way. And so, yeah, yeah, so it again was a long process, but it was a gentle process. And I think that that has paid off because we haven't lost a lot of students from the changeover of management. Um, I love that you still say we. I know, I know. And that's, you know, it's really funny, Jovi, because you're like, can you come on my podcast and talk about selling your business? I'm like, yeah, I probably need to do an episode on my own podcast about selling the business because yeah. I haven't done that yet. Um, but that's coming. I might actually Yay. use our, our chat to kind of maybe do an episode around that. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. I love that. And I think that's very inspiring for people that are making those considerations or even just. I mean, I have no intention of selling my business now, mm. but I'm not going to do this when I'm 90. So, you yeah. know, it's going to happen, right, one and day. so much, it's a scary thing to do. Mm. And so you many know? studio owners don't sell, they just close. Yeah. And I always am baffled by that. I'm like, just try, yeah. you know, because you've created this, this asset. This, yep. You know, there's so much value there. Even if it's a small, that like 50 students, yep. that's still worth something. Even yeah. $10,000, like why sit there and not leverage off what you've created? Yeah, you know? exactly. And I think, again, that comes down to making sure that you've documented the, the operations of the mm. business so you've got something to sell. Um, but I think there's a lot of fear. I don't know. I sat with fear for a long time in selling it because like what we spoke about circling back to that word fear it was actually my hesitation in selling or closing or you know just even considering not being a dance studio owner was you know what would that do to the rumor mill in a small town like would it be like 
what would people be saying about me? And, you know, dancers don't give up. Like we're the most tenacious people on the planet, right? Like (laughs) we keep going and going and going until we get that turn right. So, you know, there was a sense of, well, if I'm selling or closing, like some people I know, as you said, go down that route of they've had enough, there's this sense of, well, I'm giving up. And if you've been trained for so many years that you don't give up, that can be really hard. And it's about flipping Mm. that mindset in that, no, I'm not giving up. It's just not serving me in the way that I want. Like, what is, am I living my best life every single day? Is this lighting me up every single day or is it not? And if it's not, well, then you're not giving up. You're just making a change for the better. And I think it's rephrasing it like that and then taking some time to sit with it. Um, You know Jane Gretsch, right? Yes. And so... She was actually one of the first people I interviewed on my podcast. Right. So um, I got to know Jane Gretsch through DSOA and um, she was one of the coaches within that group. And And I find her really... She's inspiring, right? She's, she's warm. She has a warm. Oh, she's lovely. Yeah. And so, you know, I remember her saying um, something along the lines of like, you know, imagine if you woke up and your business was gone, how would you feel? Do you really want to let this go? Um, and for many, many, many months, I would be like, oh, I don't know. Mm, I don't know. And then COVID happened and like it was gone like you know we were Mm. online classes and that was like a real wake up shake up to be like okay so here's the day that she was talking about except it wasn't my choice how do I feel and Mm. that was a moment of going well actually I'm not missing it I'm feeling okay about not being like running it the way that we were it was still going but you know very different and so that was a moment for me where I was like, okay, maybe I am ready to move on from this. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was I have another friend who's a studio owner um, based in Sydney and I remember calling her up one day because I was just at my wit's end with it all and she's like, you can't make this decision on a bad day. You can't make it out of haste. You need to make the decision to move away from your studio or close it or sell it or whatever the decision, you know, you want it to be, make it on a good day. And so I'm a big journaler. I don't know about you, Joe, but one of the things that I find really helpful if I'm feeling unclear or just a bit scattered or just emotional, or, you know, just that, that place is to journal. My journals aren't that interesting to read. Sometimes they're dot points, sometimes they're drawings, sometimes, you know, like they're very random. But I think when you keep writing down the same thing month after month after month and then you read it back and you go, okay, I think I need to do something about this. Yeah, yeah. Who or what inspires you, Donna? I'd love to know that. Who or what inspires you? um, Oh, I don't know. Um, Other women Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Other women who are, you know, following their hearts, doing what they love and doing it well. I find that really inspiring. and courageous women as well. Like I read the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Have you read that book? I haven't. It is amazing. Yeah. It's really gutsy and courageous, you know, and I love work by Brene Brown. I love her work. Um, Yeah. So I guess I find that sort of stuff inspiring about bringing the heart into everything that you do. Um, And that's probably what has spurred me on to move away from the dance studio ownership, even though it was a super successful six-figure business and it was 
like it was literally running without me for the last two years and there was points and there has been points since I'm like why did I give that away like I actually wasn't doing much anymore but I was just you know collecting the paycheck at the end of the month but my heart wasn't in it oh, anymore. Oh, no, there was a lot going on there. You set that yeah. up that way. So yeah, but, you know, sometimes you do, honest. you question yourself and you go, mm. why did I Why did I do that, you know? But <laughs> my heart wasn't in it yeah, and it wasn't no. working for my family and I was ready for the next evolution, which is moving into business and coaching and helping other mums in business, other women to succeed and, you know, do what they love to do alongside being a mum as well. So well, that sort of leads me into my final question really, which is what's next? Madonna, <laughs> what's next? Um, what's next? Well, I'm going to um, keep building my podcast. Um, lots of episodes coming out every week on loads of different topics. Um, I have my Ready to Rise program, which is a 12-week program, um, seven modules, weekly coaching calls with me. And I'm looking at building a membership. So, you know, doing some really great work, bringing in other guest experts to do masterclasses and uh, just taking people to that next step um, in sustainability for their business, in building business for the long, yeah. I think, you know, when when I think about my whole journey, not just in business but as a person, has been about supporting, uplifting and and inspiring people and I think I do that by you know I support by doing the training and offering my advice and you know doing the coaching I try and inspire people by bringing really interesting guests onto my podcast um, and the master the the master classes that I'll do as part of the membership Um, and I think that's always been part of me as you would know as a dance teacher you know you're there to teach you're there to inspire you're there to uplift and support and that has always been my journey. And I think it's always going to continue to be that. I will always do that for um, in my lifetime, but it's just in a slightly different way now. Mm-hmm. I always say I'm, I'm my client's biggest cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right. Well, beautiful. Um, if people want to find out more about you, where, where can they go? Uh, my website is donnahan.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram, which is Donna underscore Han, H-A-N-N for November underscore S-I-B and um, my podcast is She's in Business. So great. Well, we'll put some links in there for everyone in the show notes as well. So grateful to have you on the show. That's been such an amazing conversation. Thank you, Donna. And uh, yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care. See ya. If you enjoyed listening and would like to hear more, be sure to click subscribe. If you're really feeling the love, share us with your friends. To work with me or to simply find out more about the magic of creativity, arts and business, head to my website josephinelancuba.com and you can find me on socials. I also have a book that I've co-written with a bunch of amazing entrepreneurial women called The Women Changing the World and you can grab a copy of that at josephinelancuba.com forward slash books. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.